Hey everybody, just real quick before the show started, uh, this is Steve, and I just wanted to let you know, for all the latest information on our podcast, hit us up on Twitter at EILF Movies, that's everything I learned from movies. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. If you're looking for incredible art, or maybe gifts for an upcoming uh, birthday, or Father's Day, Mother's Day, anything like that, Christmas, uh, you can check out Izzy's art at untidyvenus.etsy.com. You can also find us on all the uh, podcatchers like Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, Podcast Addict. Uh, basically, Google us, you'll find us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right, on with the show. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot holes a gratuitous movies. It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen Brain Trenchard Smith is an accomplished writer and director of over 50 films over an incredible 40-year career. Some of his best-known movies include The Man from Hong Kong, Turkey Shoot, BMX Bandits, Dead End Drive-In, Leprechaun 3, and Leprechaun in Space, as well as Drive Hard, which is his latest movie starring John Cusack and friend of the podcast Thomas Jane. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Trenchard Smith was kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned from Movies. Ah! Ah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello there. Hi. How are you doing today? Now, can you see me? Uh, no. I'm... Can't see avatar. you, but we can hear you at least. That's a good start. Yeah. How do I get to be seen? Uh, there's probably a, a little camera with a red line through it or something. If you push on that, that should, uh, or maybe I can. Let's camera see. with a red line on it. It. I. I, I enabled. I. I ena- start video. Okay. I, oh, okay. Yeah. That, okay. Hey, there we go. There we go. Not the most flattering angle, really, but uh, <laughs> it does wonderful things to my gizzard. Considerable gizzard. We were doing that a little earlier, um, too. So, no yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are here in the, the wilds of Oregon. Ooh, um, very nice. Yeah. Uh, and, whereabouts uh, in Oregon, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. It's, uh, it's a, about an hour out of Portland. Uh, uh, Scapus or St. Helens are the nearest um, towns. Uh, I'm trying to align myself with the camera. Oh. Oh, uh, <laughs> you'd think I'd know these things. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm on two and a half acres. Um, and uh, you know, the deer come to visit every day and I feed, chop them apples and uh, talk to them. They don't say much. Uh, <laughs> They're usually pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you are in North Carolina. Oh no! Actually, we're we're in uh, Utah. We uh, actually very Utah. similar out the window. If we could show you here, but yeah, we're in the oh. like a, a little ski town up in Utah. So yeah, lots of yeah. we have deer path going right through our yard and stuff too, mm-hmm. and nice little rabbits that hide wherever they can. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, now, are you? Is this going out just as audio when you when we start? Yep. The, yeah, no yeah. pictures. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I don't have to get the book and flash it in front oh, of people. You mean this book, Adventures <laughs> in the Bee Movie that Trade? Book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I didn't expect it to be six hundred pages, but I'm already yeah. like well into it. Like it's it's amazing what? your 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 life story. Essentially, it's it's pretty yes. amazing. Well, you know. I, 
I think if I just kept going, I could have written a thousand, but I thought that would be really too much for people. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, 200. I'm not, I'm not well, much of a big reader, but I mean, mm, with the pictures yeah, no, that you're interacting. I mean, I'm writing about, you know, uh, the visual image and uh, uh, in, in recorded entertainment. And uh, so you've got to have images. So I, I realized that. Uh, and uh, I will continue to, you know, do blogs that, I don't know whether anyone would ever read a second book, uh, but uh, um, I'm sure over the next year or so, you know, I will have many other stories to tell. I'm just, uh, I'm trying to put a blog on my website every week to 10 days of, uh, you know, film related or, you know, cinema history or social history related that in some ways connected with with uh, a movie, and uh, so I guess I could eventually compile all of those. But uh, uh, anyway, it depends whether something more interesting for me to do comes up. But uh, um, the prospect of my making another film are probably quite slim at this stage of my life. I haven't made a film for five years, sadly, but it's it's hard once you hit 70. Well, it's, it's not actually hard to do it. It's just hard to get chosen. Yeah, to get chosen, and I assume it's just a just a taxing job as well. Just kind of running everything for what, what thirty to sixty days, depending. And <laughs> well, well the, I mean, it is challenging, um, but that's the whole point. Uh, and the challenge is exciting. I mean, would I want to be doing it? Well, if you're on a series, uh, and for some reason you have agreed it to be, to, to, you know, to be the alternate, you know, the rotating director. So you're either prepping uh, and editing what you shot or shooting the next episode while your other, the other director does his turn. Um, and that goes on for close to nine months. I guess that could be uh, yeah, a little wearing. Yes, uh, but I prefer the sort of uh, the high intensity, you know, short you know, military campaign uh, and after which you can sort of relax uh, and uh, till the next campaign, which immediately you start worrying about, because will will I have another now? Next campaign, you always you always wonder whether each film is going to be your last. Uh, and, now, and, and, and I'm sorry, my, my apologies for people that are just listening to this audio. Uh, this is the great director Brian Trenchard Smith who's joining us. <laughs> you, can, you can't see oh, his name. Thank you. I, so I didn't realize we'd started. Jolly good show. Okay. <laughs> Um, so how many people do you reach with your you know, your podcast normally usually a couple hundred like we're we're not huge but it's a couple hundred people uh, who just honestly just love movies um i mean mm. we we, we uh, you said you listened to our show a little bit we we have a genuine yeah. love for a wide range of movies and you know to have the director of you know such a wide range of movies from like the man from Hong Kong to Leprechaun in Space to uh, Drive Hard, which we actually watched last night, and yeah. oh. I didn't even know that movie existed. And I'm like, I, I, it was it was pretty amazing. It's actually, Steve <laughs> a movie. well, it was pretty amazing for 18 10-hour days, I can tell you. But uh, and so that's a part of the challenges of, um, of making uh, movies. But you you embrace the challenge, uh, and you think, well, okay, this is. This is the straitjacket I have to live in for the next, you know, you know for, for the shooting period. I've got to make, I've got to maximize every, every minute of every hour of uh, of every day that uh, the cameras are turning. And uh, so, how do I generate, you know, drama or comedy, 
uh, or action excitement um, uh, in that time and, uh, and create as many interesting images with which to tell the story because, you know, that's the name of the game. You're, you're telling a story with the camera. And uh, I, uh, that's, that's my passion. You know, I, I see life through a wide-angle lens. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a running theme through a lot of your movies where it's a mixture of, I mean, you have the incredible stunt work and action and explosions and all that, but also a great humor and satire and uh, and then just great performances from the actors and stuff. Like, uh, is there, uh, I mean, are there like movies that you grew up with that, uh, I don't know, you kind of use like an example, of like what kind of guided you towards that or? I, yeah, always loved movies as a child. And, you know, we did get television before I was seven. Uh, sort of unheard of these days. You didn't have television before you were seven. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, I was playing you know, high-range high video games when I was seven. You know, that's what today's kids say. Um, but, Twitch uh, channel or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, no, I... Uh, uh, yeah, so the movies that, that influenced me and uh, therefore the movies I wanted to make tended to be these large-scale epics. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my only epic has been Megiddo, Omega Code 2, uh, which is the closest I've come to uh, an epic. Uh, but uh, I, I always liked spectacular films and films with, you know, lots of action and lots of visual dynamics because uh, that's what the, the you know the the, the the movies are all about. The, you go into a darkened room and you get uh, transported into another world, and uh, you you theoretically come out unscathed, and you have vicarious excitement uh, at the second hand with the the various happenings that you watch, and from the the early Nickelodeon days uh, where people sat on on benches and looked at the flickering image on the screen and sometimes somebody made sound effects or played the piano to accompany it um it, it just hypnotized people and uh, it, it, people rapidly became addicted to that that window into another world uh and i've become addicted to wanting to create that window or my own kind of window with a you know, uh, maybe a strange coloured gel over it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, um, so, but I mean, the, the, so early films that influenced me, obviously I was um, entranced by Hitchcock's telling of you know, various murderous tales. Um, I loved this spectacle of Ben-Hur, The Ten Commandments, Spartacus, El Cid, Fall of the Roman Empire, um, all those yeah, sixties, seventy millimeter epics, which you know, you, I would, my father would take me to, you know, the the opening season of whatever uh, at one of the big theatres in the West End of London, where they had these huge panoramic screens that uh, you know basically covered your entire yeah um, field of vision, uh, you know, even your peripheral vision. I mean, if you sat in the middle of the very first third you know of the seats in the stalls in the cinerama theater in london you were in the sweet spot where the the beams from the three interlocked projectors crossed just over your head your peripheral vision 
was entirely in, uh, encompassed by the screen. Uh, so when you went down that, you know, the, well, and I recall seeing you know, how the West was won in that three-screen cinerama with the slightly wavy joins between the screens, but you soon sort of, you blotted that out. Your mind quickly sort of united the screen. Uh, but that was quite something going down the rapids uh, on this, you know, raft made of logs in How the West Was Won, um, if you've seen that sequence. And certainly the, the whole you know, train robbery sequence was quite something. And the, the buffalo stampede sequence, the roaring over your head was quite something And when you saw it in Cinerama. So these are the things that... Um, took my fancy, so to speak. Uh, and I w therefore decided, well, those are the kind of films I want to make. But, you know, as, as you get older and mature, you operate in too. So I've made, you know, police procedurals that are, you know, I like something that's, I, I have a ten tendency to you know, go a little bit offbeat with uh, you know, the genres that I, I, I do. But Happy Face Murders is a, a good example of, uh, a somewhat uh, a, a true crime black comedy uh, police procedural um, with Marg Helgenberger from CSI and uh, uh, Henry Thomas the, as an adult who he's been in two of my films but he was the kid from ET uh, and uh, Anne Margaret an Academy Award winner um, uh, and you know multi award winner um, and a great lady. Uh, uh, Elvis's girlfriend briefly um, and uh, she said he was a great kisser by the way so <laughs> whatever that would yeah Unless you um, my next and, question is Elvis yeah. <laughs> yes no I uh, Elvis is not here uh, you know sharing a cabin with Bigfoot in Oregon oh. uh, sadly yes. uh, uh, I, I, I would I, I'd love to uh, go listen to him sing uh, both of them in fact yeah, yeah, just harmonizing and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. Now, now there's a music video for you. Um, uh, but um, yeah, um, so I, you know, I try to reflect my love of genre, uh, my love of the process of filmmaking, which is like, you know, one image at a time and not necessarily in the order that they're going to play in the movie. Uh, and I try and reflect that in my book, Adventures in the B-Movie Trade. Uh, and I hope it will make, yeah, enable people, thank you, to uh, understand the, you know, the passions that drive filmmakers, uh, the passion to make an impactful moment or a dazzling image or, you know, bring a tear to the eye of who's watching. Um, so I love, you know, it, 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 putting on a show, you know, uh, and, and watching an audience react to it. Uh, some films I've you know, gone and seen with uh, an audience several times simply because, you know, it's interesting to watch their reaction. And these tend to be the, the more sort of, you know, uh, the films with more obvious appeal that have great action scenes or good comedy sequences and watching an audience of like, several hundred kids at a matinee in Sydney, Australia uh, during BMX Bandits, the, um, the you know, film I made with Nicole Kidman when she was 15, uh, watching that kid audience. And, and they, yeah, some of them brought their parents, uh, but uh, 
uh, watching that kid audience react to uh, the you know the the bike action and uh, the the stunt of the near miss as uh, we we sort of uh, really specialized in that in that film uh, because we didn't have much money and you couldn't break things so you had to look like you're about to break something uh, and then with uh, clever you know maneuverability by the riders or the car that was trying to hit them uh, you know that is avoided uh, and uh, so that was a a regular challenge to have these you know, you know, sequences that I I refer to in the book as laughs and gasps. That was that's but that's that's what I do. I deliver laughs and gasps, um, and and maybe a few serious moments of drama too, but mainly laughs and gasps. Um, and it's been great fun to do that, uh, and I've been very privileged uh, to have had those opportunities. Um, which, you know, America gave me lots of those opportunities. Australia did. Britain didn't. uh, But Britain gave me a very good education and a good grounding. But the film industry was very hard to get into when I was 18, 19. And so I went to Australia, 20. And Australia was the land of opportunity, the land that my father came from. And you know, I, you know, nine years after I landed, my first feature film was on the screen um, all over the world. Uh, so, and it I was, had uh, been... The Man from Hong Kong, right? Or yeah, The Man from Hong Kong. Dragonflies in some markets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd had my first directing credit in uh, 1970 um, when, uh, uh, when I, you know, I was working for Channel 9 in Sydney and, and actually directed a live broadcast via satellite to France in color, and we were a black and white TV nation at that stage, uh, <laughs> heading for color. It was in color, uh, in French, uh, for one hour, uh, starting at 8.45 on uh, Christmas morning, Australian time, which was just at a quarter before midnight, Christmas Eve, French time. And the broadcast was live, but we had pre-edited film sequences we could roll into it if we got into trouble. Um, and on at nine o'clock precisely, uh, or you know, midnight, <clears throat> you know, Christmas Day, uh, Christmas Eve in in France, uh, at the beginning of Christmas Day, uh, uh, a particular event had to be choreographed, namely Santa Claus mounted on the prow of a lifesavers boat rowed by the Manly Lifesaving uh, Club uh, who hung out at Manly Beach, and they were manly guys. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, anyway, here they had to row Father Christmas ashore, uh, and uh, as the, the longboat hit the, the sand, a hundred children from the far west children's home, an, an orphanage, were to run across the sand to a mounted a Christmas tree that had been planted on the beach where there was a whole lot of presents and Father Christmas was then to deliver them. This was some totally ridiculous depiction of how Australians spend Christmas uh, to <laughs> completely bamboozle the French. Uh, and uh, it was my task to direct a converted Avis renter truck, which was uh, a proto outside broadcast van in color. Um, and we had three cameras, one of which died during the shoot. 
Oh, and uh, that was my first, you know, that, that was throwing you in the deep end, um, and I swam. Excellent. And then you say your first feature within a couple of years of there, and, uh, okay, we watched Man from Hong Kong for the first time four days ago. Yeah, and we're so disappointed we hadn't heard of it sooner. That is an amazing <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> we're that, your target audience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. No, well, that that showed my my predilection for spectacle, and uh, you know, with the right choice of locations, you can make a small budget look big. And oh, I did with uh, Man from Hong Kong, uh, but you liked it. it. You got the sensibility, the sense of humor, yeah, the satire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, George Lazenby is the villain. Uh, I mean, you had. Uh, 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 Roger Wars in it. Samo hung briefly. Like all the car chases and stuff were were just amazing. Especially like that that final car chase thing. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm watching like, oh my gosh, this is this is real <laughs> people doing real things. I love this in movies. Kudos, that's These are not di- not digital cars rolling over. No. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Grant Page worked with you at the, the on the stunts with that, right? Like he had the he's the one that had the big uh, fight scene with uh, uh, Jimmy Yu, right? With, with Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I discovered Grant um, when I made my first independent film out when I left Channel 9 and I made a, a dramatized documentary as basically a calling card for myself and I managed to borrow $16,000 with which to make it. Uh, and it was called The Stuntmen and I thought I would stage some action scenes uh, and then show how the stunts were done and that would be the documentary. And it won a prize at the Sydney Film Festival. Um, but in that documentary, I needed someone for uh, to do some rope slides, some abseiling off cliffs. And there was a particular expert that uh, the lead stuntman knew who had you know, been in the commandos and uh, he'd, he'd learned that you know, from, in his military training. Uh, and so they, he brought him in, and Grant, you know, met Grant, and Grant did a great job, and he was also very personable uh, on camera. Uh, you can find that documentary on a, a Blu-ray. Uh, there are a number of them around, but the, the Blu-ray you'd have to get is the one from Umbrella Entertainment in Australia. Um, I think you can order it. Uh, but it has five of my other films on it as well as the man from Hong Kong. So you can also have the stuntmen on, on that particular Blu-ray. But there's a Blu-ray now that's just gone on release in America, which only is the man from Hong Kong. Yeah, I think um, it goes through Shout Factory uh, or something. Yeah, I saw that the other day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think it's Shout Factory or some other bunch. Uh, but anyway, they've, they've, you know, they've given us a sort of minimum guarantee and we'll we'll see what how they do for three years. Nice. Um, but... Uh, but the the original Australian um, and from Hong Kong Blu-ray, which came out about uh, three years ago, uh, that has Death Cheaters, Danger Freaks, uh, Kung Fu Killers, Stunt Rock, and the Stunt Men on it. Okay, that's so, going to have to be a anyway. spy for me. <laughs> I, I, I got to see Stunt Rock. I've only heard about it, and yeah. <laughs> well, I, we're planning to put out a Blu-ray uh, this coming year. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, I don't know what we'll partner it with. It probably needs something else added to it. It's much more of a, I mean, I, I, I can get the thing made in Australia, but therefore there has to be something to get the Australian audience for 
uh, who have who are less familiar with stunt rock, believe it or not, than the American audience, uh, where it became a cult favorite long after it its two week season uh, in Australia died because it had no promotion, um, uh, and uh, uh, but it you know and, and it didn't get a VHS release in Australia at all. So um, only when it developed uh, a following in America uh, was their interest, and and many Americans did buy. Who they they can play NTSC DVDs in Australia, in Australia the dual dual system players, and many Australians did buy the stunt rock uh, DVD that I made in, in in the US. But we're going to bring it out on Blu-ray and uh, do a proper scan. I've got the uh, the the you know, original negative, um, so it will look at its best. Uh, but we'll probably put a, something else on with it. Um, and uh, but that's yet to be just determined. But you'll you know that you'll you'll see it well. Like occasionally, a, a thirty-five millimeter print gets booked to you know theaters that have retro screenings. But whether that's in the, um, in, in your part of the world, I don't know. But uh, um, yeah, well, that, that, that you have forty-one titles to get through. You see, plus the television. I mean, you've got a life lifelong yeah, you know, pretty, uh, pretty career ahead of you. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, and uh, one last question about Man from, uh, Man from Hong Kong before uh, we move on. You're listed as the martial arts heavy. What, what, what scene was that? Was that like the five-on-one fight scene? or I, I was the, the luckless uh, martial arts academy manager on the phone when Jimmy sneaks in and he sees me and I have that one line of dialogue uh, which ties the martial arts academy uh, to Mr. the villainous Mr. Wilton um, uh, in a piece of naked exposition. Um, and then I foolishly clink something that attracts his attention so he can then beat me up uh, and punch me through glass, which was fun. Uh, and it was toffee glass. Um, and uh, uh, then very foolishly I get up again uh, so that I can run out of that Hong Kong set, uh, which was built in Hong Kong, because we had to split the cost equally with Australia. Um, and then I run into an Australian uh, sixth floor corridor, in fact, of the distribution exhibition combine that were going to play the film in Australia and had a one-quarter investment in it. Um, and we have a little fight on top of the elevator, yeah. which is something I always wanted to do. Um and yeah, I don't think any insurance company would permit that sort of thing. Uh, not certainly not for the director to do it, because you just had to watch out that you didn't uh, put your elbow or your head over the edge and got hit by one of those big counterweights that were coming down at the same time. So, um, and we would put a, a little bit of railing up around it uh, to sort of waist, you know, not waist height, but more like buttock height, uh, just to. Uh, as, a, as a bit of a guide um, and uh, so hence no problem um, but uh, that was a fun sequence to do I mean part of it was vanity you know I wanted to be in a kung fu fight scene even though I was awful uh, you know, uncoordinated stiff uh, slow 
in reacting as all Western actors are compared to Asian martial artists. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so, you know, Jimmy was anxious to dispose of me quickly because I really wasn't worth watching. And, you know, no hero likes to be spending time beating up an unworthy opponent for, for, for too long. Uh, and uh, so, um, so part of it was my own personal vanity and also, as the Martial Arts Academy was going to be in Hong Kong and the second half of the scene, which, you know, was just continuing to, to raise the stakes for the hero and keep the opposition coming, that was to be shot in Australia. Um, you didn't want the same actor to have to, for one line, to have to be flown to Hong Kong. Uh, uh, so uh, I did it myself. Um, and you know, I, I paid myself three hundred dollars, um, which you know was every little helps. But um, so um, that that to answer your question is is, is you know uh, you know what why I, I, I why I was martial arts heavy, whereas my 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 wife's brother saw the film and said to her, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, his little joke. Uh, but um, uh, so, yeah, it, it, so uh, I, I've made periodic appearances. I'm the kind of cold blooded director, uh, um, you know, not particularly caring about you know, his performer's safety uh, in Death Cheaters. Um, and, uh, you know, I can be heard off screen asking questions and and danger freaks um, <clears throat> in hospitals don't burn down um, uh, I'm yeah I, I'm a surgeon in a guy in a, in a you know, gown and mask uh, with nurses hurriedly wielding you know, wheeling a uh, patient out of the operating theater because the hospital's caught fire uh, uh, and so I, I've made these little guest appearances but it wasn't necessarily to imitate Hitchcock because I'm not I'm not worthy you know it was you know, sometimes a way of just adding weight to a scene uh, or coming up with something we could do quickly uh, and uh, so um, but I, I have been relatively restrained since I played a police commissioner for uh, uh, you know one you know, couple of line scene uh, in Absolute deception with Cuba Gooding Jr. Pardon me, it's allergies, uh, some pleasant white wine, and some <clears throat> sprinkles on the, bis the the iced biscuit that went down the wrong way. Something, yeah, no readers have complete uh, explanation. And uh, uh, so, your listeners. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure how many of them read. <laughs> nice. and um I, I get another one with, like we we just love is turkey shoot um oh yeah but i understand the the filming of that movie was kind of chaos with like budget cuts and everything at the last minute how how, how was shooting that movie well it, it was difficult uh and stressful and it was you know pretty obvious to everybody what was happening and it, everyone had signed on to something bigger so there was a, a level of disappointment, shall we say, that was in the air. And you have to try and keep people's spirits up and still think around the problems. Um, I originally had an 80, a 94-page script, but then 15, 
the first 15 pages were deemed to be too expensive. Uh, and furthermore, a, uh, a four-page helicopter chase was considered to be expensive, and the actor who was to play the helicopter pilot wanted $50,000 because he was a major Australian name. He, he was a TV... Uh, well, he was like a tonight, the, the Tonight Show compare of Melbourne. Oh. And it would have been stunt casting to have, uh, and, and, and he had some great one-liners to spit out from the helicopter. But, uh, but yeah, he could see this, this film was being made to make money and uh, he was going to have his piece of it. And if you want my name, which will guarantee you my audience will come to this film. Um, and it's great pity we didn't have him because, uh, you know, I think the, the audience would have diversified somewhat, uh, of course, his audience would have been horribly shocked by the film. Uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> was going to be my next thing. Is like, that's but it would have been of, good for <laughs> woken them up a bit, you know, yeah. uh, shocked them out of their middle class complacency, perhaps. Uh, but, um, but so, problem number one is, you know, I got to make ninety minutes. I made ninety four, and even at a minute a page, you still want to be able to trim things and tighten things. So here I am, I'm down to 80. Uh, for, and I'm down to 75, really. Uh, and I have to combine the, I have to rewrite the action that would have taken place with the helicopter, basically assign two targets to one hunter uh, and, and contrive a way in which that can be done. So I had creative issues to think about, basically on the job. Yeah, and, you know, constantly thinking of, how during this shooting day can I expand the action uh, or you know, generate more screen time out of you know, what is scheduled for the day uh, without um, you know, creating a what French would call a longueur, uh, you know, a flat patch, you know, uh, uh, you want to be able to you know, tighten the pace. Uh, you can always extend the length by having people, you know, drive up, get out of their car, walk to the door, go inside, and then have the scene. Uh, establishing shots. You want yeah. to keep, yeah. Well, establishing shots are okay, but more so, you can yeah. have these 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 slow, you know, uh, you know, setups, uh, which will indeed create, you know, more more you know, uh, screen time. But yeah, the audience is, you know, you know chewing gum uh, while they're, they're waiting. Uh, and, you know, you, you would, years ago, you'd see that a lot in television soap opera. There all these filler scenes in yeah. which you know, when nothing dramatic happened. So I'm just a part of my philosophy of filmmaking is cut to the chase. Um, what is the next thing we need to know uh, in terms of plot? How can we in some way, you know, uh, expand understanding of character in such a scene. And uh, then how can we make it sort of visually interesting as well? So you've got to, you know, combine all these elements in a scene. And so I, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of eliminating flat patches. So I had to create more business and good business needs coverage. Coverage takes time. You know, every time you move the camera, going to be 10 minutes before you're really set up to somewhere else and comp anything complicated a 
camera movement while you're looking at half an hour. So it's quite a an interesting exercise to triage your own plan for the scene, you know, almost on an hourly basis and making sure you have the essential elements that you need just enough. Uh, <clears throat> the disciplines of episodic television certainly force this upon you. But uh, I had uh, had done, you know, I honestly think I had not done a, an episode of actual TV drama till after Turkey Shoot. Yeah, Five Mile Creek. Um, um, uh, but certainly very good, very good practice. And then, uh, and then after Turkey Shoot, which is a great action film, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's actually on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, yeah. We've watched it like three times. Uh, and then you did BMX Bandits, which as a kid, I had a babysitter who had this on VHS, so I have seen dozens, if not hundreds, of it times. It turns out this was Steve's lost, uh, like, childhood movie. Yeah. Oh. We, were, we were watching it last night, and it was like, oh, yeah, I totally know this movie. I, I know what's going to happen. I know they're going to end up in a cemetery. Yeah, yeah like, I, I know this one. Mm, yeah. Well, how old were you when you saw the cemetery scene? Were you scared? Oh, I was probably five, five or six. Yeah. Like I said, it was a babysitter. Yeah. Five, six, seven, somewhere in that range. So it was already a couple years old when, when that happened. But I mean, I, I grew up watching like Ghostbusters and, you know, Gremlins mm. and like Revenge of the Nerds and stuff. So yeah. it was, okay. well, this was nothing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, then but, I, I found out that uh, my childhood bike, which uh, my father had salvaged from a dumpster was the blue bike from the movie. I mean, not the exact one, but it was a copy of ooh. it with the blue tires and everything. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's nice. A mongoose probably. You know what? It just said BMX on the front where it said mongoose. Mm. Bef- uh, so it was probably a knockoff, which is probably why my dad found it in a dumpster. But uh, he remembered out the dings, and I rode that thing mm. for years. <laughs> well, good, good. No, I, I yeah, BMX has uh, reached an awful lot of people. Uh, a, a lot of kids, you know, wore out the VHS until uh, yeah. it wouldn't play anymore. Uh, and incidentally, the Blu-ray. Uh, that, that Severin have made uh, uh, in, in, in America is a really good transfer. And in fact, I don't think it even, I don't think the colors popped as well as that under 35 millimeter projection uh, situations in Australia. I mean, they did pop, but it, in the days of 35 millimeter, your original negative was great, your answer print that would come off the the original negative once the negative had been matched that was probably as good as it was ever going to look and then they would make an interpositive of that coming another generation down then an interpositive from the interpositive and from that interpositive they would mass produce 30 positive principle you know, to go to the theaters so there was some degradation if not in in fine detail but in maybe the the richness of color sometimes yeah. Um, uh, anyway, I just think that the the, the, the you know the, the latest Blu-ray of, of BMX Bandits is uh, uh, is the best I've ever seen it. Nice. And, and how is it different working with teenagers primarily as the lead characters instead of you know uh, full-grown adults? You know? Stuntmen. <laughs> well, yeah, stuntmen. I mean, such, yeah. <laughs> quite easily if you simply become your inner child, which you then calibrate possibly to the. The, the age of the of the kids that you're 
you're dealing with, well, I mean, not to be patronizing to them, not to, you know, just to, to treat them as small adults, but nonetheless, you know, be governed by your own inner child and what excites you and what, uh, you know, what, how you, you feel uh, about it. You know, I communicated my enthusiasm for the project to the, the three young leads and told them, you know, that uh, they were going to be the most important people in my life for the next uh, six weeks. Uh, and uh, we all, you know, got on very well and they they tried to help each other. Um, and, and they, they were a good uh, trio. And so it, it wasn't hard for me. I mean, if you make these kind of films, there must be something about them, about your, your inner personality that will enable you to relate to kids uh, and, and get into their imagination as well as, you know, uh, get them into yours. Excellent. And then um, I, I guess basically from BMX Bandits, uh, you did like the, the, the quest with uh, Henry Thomas, who you mentioned earlier from mm. E.T. And, um, yeah. and then uh, like Dead End Drive-In, uh, where, I mean, you made a world record jump, stunt jump and a truck. Yeah. How uh, that, that, that movie is you know, a great little post-apocalyptic, just kind of over the top kind of movie. How was how it making something like that? Well, uh, it, it it was what I, you know, always like to do. And I, I like a little bit of over the top. You know, I am a bit over the top. You know, let's <laughs> face it. And I say so with pride. Uh, 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 and so, you know, I mean, movies. You know, I mean, movies can be dour and grim and have a message for mankind. And I like some of those too. And, uh, they can be very slow-moving, serious, but intense character studies. That's, you know, I like those too, but I don't think I've ever made one. You know, I, I, I like things to, you know, be maybe a little... I mean, realism is all very well, but heightened realism is more fun. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, what I wanted to do was to make a political allegory with Dead End Drive-In, where the drive-in was... Um, basically representing society uh, and it's uh, even it's many levels of society and there were those that uh, were kind of the the uh, the ruling elite within the drive-in community and there were you know they all had their little subcultures uh, we even had a big sort of uh, upturned combi van with water in it as club med and people were swimming in it uh, and so it, 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 there was, you know, you saw a diverse society uh, develop with, had developed within the, the drive-in. Of course, it was a white society. And, of course, once you start shipping people of a different color and therefore someone, people who are therefore less entitled to the good things in life than you, well, then there are going to be problems in that society, aren't there? Uh, and uh, uh, so that... It was the the subtext of the story was uh, important to me, and uh, the racism that is just you know, on open display, which you know were a couple more racist scenes in the Australian version, but it was just too much for the Americans. They couldn't stand. They they thought, yeah, uh, you know, ouch, you know, <laughs> uh, this is too much. No, no, 
well, the, well, well, think we're propagating racism. Even back in the eighties, when movies like Soul Man were on top of the charts, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, for people to to be uh, uttering the kind of racial slurs that yeah. they were in the cafeteria scene, for instance, yeah, the big, yeah, the, the that, rally. Was, that, 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 uh, that was yes, yeah, I could kind of an early MAGA rally, really. <laughs> uh, that 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 scene. Uh, but uh, the, the Americans cut, um, you know, one of one of those speeches, uh, which had to do with eating horse piss soup and uh, things like that. Which, of course, is something that the, the Vietnamese refugee boat people they were saying this is what they what they do. Uh, but it's very it's interesting how prescient um, yeah, some of those things are. You know, you you have. Uh, the lead spokesman, you know, has a saying, what about our women? You know, what if one of these zipper heads wants to rape one of our women? And, you know, you, you get Trump is saying Mexicans coming over the border, they're rapists, they're thieves, etc. So the same racial button pressing that has, has always gone on to, uh, to, to, you know, pejoratize the other. Uh, and uh, so, um, I thought it was important to, uh, um, yeah, back in 1985 when I made it, to um, reflect that there is a, a dark vein of racism in every country. It's not just, it's not America, no, it's in England, it's in Australia. And even in countries of color, there are stratas of society that look down upon other stratas. So it's, it's, it's a universal um, it's 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 a universal blemish on character, which hopefully we will one day outgrow. Um, but uh, anyway, it's far far bit for me to appear to be from the Sermon on the Mount here. And, uh, <laughs> uh, um, but um, so, but I think what I'm saying is that you know, if you make um, films that are a little over the top, a little garish, and a little wild in their ideas, you can seed a more serious idea running underneath uh, and that's what I tried to do with Dead End Drive-In uh, and a number of other films nice. and you, you mentioned uh, unfortunately it's been a couple of years since you've done a movie is there like a dream project or something you would do like let's say studio comes by 100 million dollars to do your dream project or is there like a franchise you want to jump on or well several obviously uh, but I do mention the ones that I really like to make in Adventures in the B-Movie Trade. Uh, one is... <laughs> Thank For you. those of you just like, listening... Like, like I said, you. I'm only this far in, and I'm like, I, I've, I've got to finish this book. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, like, you, well, you just it, got to Australia. Very <laughs> it's very snackable. This is his Christmas present. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for those that can't afford... Uh, a $20 paperback. And let me say in Australia, they make it much uh, more expensive because Amazon don't print on demand in Australia. So you can only, you know, Amazon don't ship from America to Australia. So you have to get it from a third party seller who doubles the price. And then there's the exchange rate and the, and, and, and the, uh, the, but I figured I'm worth 20 bucks. You know, my career is worth 20 bucks. Uh, that's affordable. And if you can't afford it, the Kindle, which is half the price, Nine ninety nine. It plays very well on the computer, and it feels just like you're reading an online magazine. And you can say, "That was interesting." Okay, pause. Got to go back and do some work. The boss is coming. Okay, the boss is gone. Okay, I can go back and read now. Uh, 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 so the Kindle is uh, it, it is a useful tool. Um, but uh, we were 
I was probably making some you know, more significant point before I went off and, uh, about the, the, the book. You had a question. Uh, well, uh, dream projects. Yeah, like, dream projects, dream yes. Project. Well, I'd like to make my re- revisionist Richard III. Um, uh, Richard III is, you know, uh, the most maligned king in British history, murdered the princes in the tower. Well, not guilty. Uh, in fact, the Supreme Court of the United States held a mock trial for Richard III in 1999. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Justice Brower were two of the, I forget who the other one was, there were three of them. They held a mock trial on the issue of the murder of the princes in the tower. Um, and they found him not guilty. So, uh, and there's a lot of historical evidence that would point to him, to the very least being not proven, but really not guilty. Um, and uh, it, it, but Shakespeare uh, has enshrined the the myth in, in in truth because of the quality of his drama, um, and of course he was writing in. You know, Tudor times, and uh, you know you you better sort of toe the line because uh, you know, <laughs> that's how the Tudor dynasty started, uh, when Richard was killed on the battlefield. Uh, but he was a reformer who angered the church. Um, uh, he angered the lords because he wanted to reform the law uh, and make you know make it possible for lords to be punished. Uh, and he, he, there are many things that he was trying to do to make, uh, you know, well, to create greater justice in England. Um, but he had many enemies, and eventually they, they were, and he had half the treasury stolen uh, by the outgoing regime, so to speak. Or his, uh, um, anyway, I won't get into the historical detail, but it's a fascinating story, and there have been some really good books written that show it's highly unlikely that he did it with somebody else. Uh, there's another theory that one of the princes died of an abscessed tooth. Uh, and But that, because of the political sensitivity at the time, uh, if, if either of them died, it would be his fault. So it was kept quiet. Um, but that's, an, that's another matter. But I want to make, you know, Richard has always been portrayed from Laurence Olivier onwards with a hunchback, and you know, he, he did have a yeah, scoliosis of the spine. And when they discovered his body you know, a few years ago, finally, um, they, they proved it was his body, and he, he, it was indeed, he did indeed have scoliosis. But so I've written it as a, it's kind of a, a, you know a, a costume drama that is that sort of works as the case for the defence for Richard. Uh, and you know says something about the 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 weight of the crown uh the pain of uh and, and the torment of actually having to be in power uh it's it's actually no fun um uh, because you know in the end you can't please anybody really <laughs> uh, so i wrote the screenplay and it uh Initially got some interest, but ultimately BBC Films said, yeah, uh, it's too fawning on Richard, really. You know, you know, you got it should be a balance. You know, could did he or didn't he? We don't say. I, I say I, I, I want to put the case for the defence. 
and prove it. Um, another company, a big company in England, uh, looked at it, um, working title, uh, and they said, yeah, bad Richard's more fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you need but, to push yeah, up the comedy a little bit in this uh, this. Well, no, it's just that the when you list all his, when you reenact all his yeah, alleged crimes, uh, then wow, you've there's a lot going on there. You know, there there, there were far worse kings. I mean, Henry VIII probably caused the death of fifty eight thousand people who opposed him in putting down rebellions, hanging thousands of people afterwards, um, as well as the the people we all know that um, uh, Henry VIII, yeah, disposed of wives, you know, yeah, don't do that. But, you know. but he does have the catchy song, though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. So he's forgiven after a while. Yes, yes, green sleeve. Yeah, there, there's a hit there for sure. Uh, but uh, so that's one, you know, I, it, it's like an epic with battle scenes and, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, a, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and uh, certain political parallels to you know today, not not in you know, America necessarily, but just yeah, we'd never have a leader know, the, who was responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, what can you say? Uh, <laughs> We're found not guilty. <laughs> yes, and pardon yes. themselves. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> proud, proud. Uh, yes. Well. Uh, anyway, well, hopefully not half your listenership has turned off now. Uh, <laughs> ah, they're used not, to us. Yeah, say not our listenership. <laughs> oh, okay. No, well, I, I would imagine not. Uh, so tell uh, me we maintain that nice, small fan <laughs> Sure, that in, in North Carolina, when you, in Utah, yes. In Utah. Utah. Oh. Yeah, in Utah, of all <laughs> places. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, yay Romney, I say, you know, coming out and, uh, yeah, and, and calling it like it is uh, and uh, give him credit for that. Uh, I don't think he would have made a great president, but uh, there again, none of that bunch would have done. And uh, let's, let's hope we're seeing a changing of, a gradual changing of the tide and where governance has to be more responsive to people's needs. And in this yeah. last, the last few months, well, the, the failure to pass this bill, the, the length of time it took to even come to this paltry amount, uh, it's just indicative of how ineffective uh, and how, you know, uncaring uh, people who earn their living being our e economic uh, and security managers, um, yeah, how ineffective they are, and they all need to be replaced. Uh, so uh, and this will hopefully gradually happen. Uh, and you know the sky will not fall. You know, you know um, the Sharia law will not be announced in North, uh, in Utah. Uh, and, uh, um, <laughs> I, European I, socialism I will not be happen, mandated. Uh, <laughs> no, no, these are all just you know, traditional propaganda tricks. Yeah. Um, no, but to change is slow. It will be much slower than progressives like ourselves will want, but it will come. Um, but you, you, back to dream projects, uh, uh, yeah, world peace would be a dream project, yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, oh, my wife is waving at me, but I won't turn the camera on her right now. Um, oh, she's fled into the cover. Yes, yes. 
Well, uh, she has a Zoom teaching event coming up shortly, oh. um, and uh, uh, so she is changing into her teacher's garb, um, oh. and uh, which is very colourful. Yeah, you know, probably the most colourful PhD. Uh, uh, but there again, she's teaching middle schoolers uh, and high schoolers uh, by remote to go for a Korean learning center in Los Angeles because they're very thought of remote teachers. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, she's a remarkable woman, as you will discover by reading the book. Now, back to dream projects. You're aware <laughs> of Adventures in the Beaver nice. Betrayed nice. by Brian nice. Trenchard Smith. Available oh, on Amazon. They can ship it like good on your queue. Uh, <laughs> but um, you are aware, of course, that I've written another book. Oh. Uh, and uh, it's called Alice Through the Multiverse. Reading it down. Okay. Uh, you'll find it, you go to Amazon, you look for books by the same author, and you will find it there. It's just a paperback without illustrations, and it is Kindle as well. And I published it uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, it's a ripping yarn, a paranormal thriller that spans, you know, the 16th century and present day simultaneously. Uh, it's like Game of Thrones meets Jason Bourne on Freaky Friday. And uh, uh, damn it, I'm in. Uh, <laughs> it's centered around a, an 18 year old history student. Uh, uh, who finds you know, herself back in the 16th century and her 16th century counterpart has taken her place. And they're both kind of confused by what has gone on conspiracies of their age. So it's my hobby horse again. Uh, but uh, so if you want a ripping yarn with a strong female protagonist, Alice through the multiverse is for you. And so uh, I got some interest in it initially and, the book went to 20 production companies in Los Angeles, all generally <clears throat> with stars behind them. Uh, and 19 of them said no. And one said, mm, maybe, yeah. And, uh, I'm picturing they a had a deal. starring Millie Bobby Brown in this, uh, just, just <laughs> on the pitch. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, that's right. It, well, it needs to, it, 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 it would need to be cast with someone just at the cusp uh, or a complete unknown. But it needs to be someone who's definitely not over 20. And so often these teenagers are played by experienced actors in, in their early 20s. But um, So I, I, mean, I, I wrote a nine-page outline as to how it could run three seasons. Uh, and I wrote a one-hour pilot that took us up to a... Yeah, a chunk of the book, but the opportunity then to expand through all the supporting characters' story, well, let's find out more about these people. And so uh, that was what I wrote. Um, but really, they they weren't interested in that. Uh, and in the end, they they said, well, we, we can't find someone who's you know, who clicks to your material, a showrunner on the list. You know, you have to get someone on the list. And then you have to wait a year before they can actually start work and so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, and a deal is a deal if it happens. But in the end, they they went cold on it. So my, to Alice Through the Multiverse would be a, a great show either on the, you know, on the Game of Thrones level of budget or it would be a great anime uh, where you could do fantastic things with the paranormal and the visuals, etc., that you couldn't afford to do, or you can afford to do them on an anime budget. Uh, so 
that that is a yeah so someone's got a few million dollars yeah, say hopefully some go. great content out uh, content creator out there like netflix or disney plus or even hulu can reach out to you and uh have this idea where it's like hey three yeah. seasons like that well it it it, uh, it, 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 it yeah it, it did it did get close to apple through a production company mm. that uh, uh that had a deal with apple but uh, yeah, yeah, n- no deal. But uh, uh, however, oh, <laughs> oh hello, uh, Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple of those. Hello, Bridget. Yeah. Um, well, she's uh, uh, this is Tuxedo. Uh, she's uh, likes to sit on my lap and uh, was wondering where I was, why I wasn't <laughs> paying attention to her. Um, so uh, anyway, so. And that's Dream Project number two. And uh, uh, I also have written with my writing partner, Dennis Pratt, whom you'll also meet in the book, who's Boris Karloff's great nephew, a bit of trivia, uh, and, and looks like him. Uh, <laughs> there is a picture I show. Uh, but, uh, oh, yes, happy pause on my sweater. <laughs> Thank you this. very much. Making biscuits. Uh, yeah. uh, we wrote a... Uh, a show called Blowback, uh, which in which the you know retired Lady Macbeth of British crime, uh, who just wants to pick up some swag from a lost bank account in uh, uh, in Dubrovnik, um, where you know things are not so easily observed, she uh, and her twenty three year old stepdaughter who wants to stay in the world of crime and not retire. Um, they run you know, into trouble with the Russian mafia. Uh, and uh, uh, it could be a movie. We wrote it as a movie, but it could spin off into a series. Uh, it's been going on for years, got close a couple of times. But yeah, I think it's, it, we'll see. The producer still wants to keep you know going with it, but... Uh, uh, the business has become very uh, corporatized since COVID. Um, there are not too many buyers. You're, are you at the Netflix level? Uh, are you at the, the level where someone would actually put prints and, and, and advertising behind a theatrical release? You better have a big star. In fact, you better have a big star just to be on the Netflix level. Uh, yeah. So it's... Uh, it's tough, and it's very tough for young indie filmmakers out there trying to get noticed with a well-made film shot on their iPhone, which, you know, the democratization of the technology of the film business has allowed that to happen. Uh, and so people can get to make films and, and, and make them look good. Anyway, I am having to going to have to leave you now. Have we, uh, is our hour up? <laughs> I, I would talk to you longer, but, but I have to. I have to do things for my wife before she teaches. Uh, so, well, thank you for spending time with us, uh, Mr. Brian Trenchard Smith. Again, the book, if you haven't caught Adventures in the B Movie Trade, available on Amazon. So many great stories. Like we, we barely scratched the surface with this. And we, no, no, you you had a few pages. You didn't get the full five hundred and eighty. Uh, so that's that's good. Uh, that's good. That's not that there, there are still some gems to be had. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm flattered, uh, and 
Yeah, you know, no doubt. Maybe in a little while we we can talk again. But uh, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to have, love you back. to have you back. On. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I will say good night now. Good night, everybody good night. over there. <laughs> good night. Good night. You gonna say good night? Say good night. Say good night. Bye bye. So, yeah, that was Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, acclaimed director of some great movies you guys should check out. A lot of them are actually available on Amazon Prime and Tubi and stuff. Um, But definitely, uh, okay, the book that we mentioned, I don't know, seven or eight times during the interview that's uh, The Adventures in the B Movie Trade by Brian Trenchard Smith. Check it out. It's 20 bucks right now. It is well worth it. And I'm only like, 70 pages in it's a it's a good read a lot of great interesting stories and uh, yeah just incredible um and of course you know while you're on the internet check out untidyvenus.etsy.com we got uh, new stuff popping up there every day it's fantastic uh, that's my wife's lovely art page if you didn't know um and of course we're at eilf movies that's everything i learned from movies on facebook twitter and instagram and all your favorite podcatchers under everything i learned from movies uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll have Brian back on uh, a little later to talk about one of his films and uh, some of the other films he really, really likes. And shit, we'll talk We'll talk with just about anybody. Just hit us up at EILF Movies. Uh, so yeah, have a good night, everybody. Bye.